Hi, everyone. I'm Yvonne Strahovski. I play the lovely Serena Joy Waterford <laughs> on The Handmaid's Tale. And I'm here with Cynthia and Tricia to share my birth story, or both of them, really. Early in the labor, I, I, I started into like a fear spiral and I, I just opened up and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really scared. I'm scared I, I can't do this. My body extraordinarily, <laughs> surprise, surprise, knew exactly what to do when it felt safe. And when it fell, you have an inner voice for a reason. And I learned to listen to it in a very big way. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do. But how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, everyone. I'm Yvonne Strahovski. I play the lovely Serena Joy Waterford <laughs> on The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and I'm here with uh, Cynthia and Tricia to share my birth story or both of them really talk about talk about all things birth and what um inspired me so why don't we start Yvonne with uh you telling us about your first son's birth William right yeah William yeah well with William I um you know we live a ways from the hospital we're not in the in the city so that was kind of the biggest factor in me deciding that I wanted to birth at the hospital, even though intuitively, instinctively, you know, who I am as a person really just wanted to birth at home, but I didn't feel brave enough at the time. And I, um, I didn't really, I probably could have looked into it more in the way that I did with my second birth, but I didn't do that. Um, I went to the hospital and it's a strange thing because I look back now and in hindsight, after both the births, I realized, you know, what my body was trying to tell me both, you know, before I planned William's birth and, and during it, which is, you know, instinctively, I knew that I was going to kind of clam up in the hospital, um, which is kind of exactly what ended up happening. I had a 46 hour labor. Um, birth. So it was, it started in the evening and went for two nights and two days. And it was kind of a bit like a traveling circus. It was, you know, started at home and then eventually it was time to go to the doctor's office to check things out and uh, I was advised at that point that I would probably have my baby by sundown so we should stay in the area which meant not going back home you know doing the drive again and so you know then it meant okay, well, where do I go <laughs> to continuing to continue labor? And so then we, we got a hotel to continue laboring um, while the hotel was being sorted out by my husband, who was unfortunately kind of doing all these things rather than being present with me. You know, I was walking around the streets, you know, laboring, which also wasn't, you know, something that I was terribly comfortable with, uh, you know, being a super private person. And and someone who kind of likes being enveloped in a safe, cozy space, especially um, when I'm given giving birth, it, it wasn't ideal. So 
you know, we moved to the hotel and, uh, and, and, and I just, it just kind of went on and on and on for the next night. And obviously I was exhausted. So by the time, you know, and my OBGYN came to the hotel, uh, at various intervals throughout the night, he's wonderful, my, my OBG. And he, you know, he did checking and all that stuff. And then finally in the morning, he said it was time to go to the hospital. Um, I was dilated enough. And then we went over there and as soon as I got there, my body just went, Oh yeah, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I just, clam- I mean, it just, I clammed up and the process stalled and, and kind of stopped. And so consequently I did things that were not part of my birth plan, which is fine. You have to be flexible and all the rest of it. However, you know, it was the Pitocin and, and it was, you know, breaking my water manually. It was having someone come into the room who I didn't know, which automatically makes me freak out. And of course, you know, I'm hyper aware. I'm hyper aware anyway of my surroundings just as a human being, but, you know, especially when I'm, you know, when you're birthing. And so it was just, it was just a lot. And then, you know, we, we dealt with the meconium problem. So then of course, you know, once he was born, the NICU team was all standing by right there. Also, you know, not ideal for me. I understand that, you know, they were there for the safety of my child. And I totally respect that. But, you know, as someone who, again, is freaked out by people I've never met, that was also another thing that was like, oh my God, here's like four people standing here looking at me doing this super intimate, private, special thing, you know, and and he was fine. He was great. Uh, Everything, you know, after that was, was fine, but just knowing I looked back on that and I, and I felt like, Oh, I, I really should have listened to my original instinct about planning for something that wasn't going to be a hospital I just really didn't know how to do that. And so when I was facing, and I say facing planning my second birth because it was kind of a little bit of PTSD, you know, it was, it felt like I had to kind of face something and change something that was scary to me at the time. And, and I had to kind of start again. And, and a lot of it was really about trusting myself and trusting those little voices in my head and my gut instinct on what was going to be right for me. And I was lucky to have two very healthy pregnancies. I didn't have complications. So with the second one, I kind of ended up, I I, I had a talk with myself basically. And I was like, listen, you need to, you need to start calling all your friends, just start having conversations, use your resources, just start talking and something is going to come to you. And that's exactly what I did. I spoke to two friends who had um, just had a baby. They recommended their, um, their doula who then recommended the midwife that she was training under. And I met them both and, and I loved their energy and they they were very calm and very powerful women. And I thought that was such a contrast and in their energies that's so necessary for me and for what I needed and so it just kind of built from there and essentially these two women gave me infused me with more trust in myself so I came to them with a little bit of trust in myself and then they put it right back into me to set myself up for what I really truly wanted fully knowing that if something were to happen we could easily transfer 
and that wasn't going to be a problem. But that involved a lot of, you know, getting educated on all the things that you guys know all about, you know, like cords wrapped around necks and all the fears and concerns and all the things that you worry about as, as, a, as a mom birthing and what is actually a real threat, what isn't, how it actually works, all the things to the point where I, um, I just really learned to trust myself and set myself up for that home birth, which is what I did the second time around. And it was a dream come true. I think it's so easy for women to assume that those who have home births get pregnant and they go, Oh, I totally trusted my body. And I just don't (laughs) want to be anywhere but home. And I'm so looking forward to this birth and I know everything's going to go perfectly. But a majority of the women that I've worked with over the years never initially planned on birthing at home. They felt that they first felt an aversion to the alternative. Like, well, I really don't want to birth in the hospital or I don't want to birth in the hospital again. And then they're like, Oh God, am I really going to do this at home? And then they have to get calm and trusting about the plan to birth at home. And that's okay. That's a legitimate approach. If you start with an aversion, like to know what you want to avoid before you know what you're pulling toward, but isn't it interesting how your second pregnancy got you to reprocess your first birth? It just makes you realize how much we carry for years. And sometimes it takes another pregnancy to just get us to sometimes women cry processing it years later, they get angry years later. Right. Isn't that incredible? So we're holding that in all those years. Yeah. Well, that was definitely something I discussed with both my doula and my midwife. I, I was, it was all the fears. I mean, I sort of forced myself to be very open about that stuff. And really, cause I, I, you know, again, I had had many conversations with myself, but I I said, look, if I'm going to set myself up, in the best way possible, I need to be able to speak about every little fear I have and make sure that these two women are going to support me through this and, and be here for it. And they were, oh my God, they, they were, they were, I mean, it was amazing. So I, I, I had to talk through the entire first birth. I had to talk, you know, about what resonated with me and what didn't more so about what didn't, because those were, you know, a lot of my fears and hesitations were centered around and and then my own my own fears. I wasn't like a super, you know, I'm like super natural hippy dippy. Yeah, I'm like I'm at home and I'm super cool with this. Like no, I you know it, I still you know I kept saying I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. But but why? And I you know I had to ask myself why. I mean I I'm also aware that you know we're conditioned to feel that way a little bit as as birthing moms. Like there's a lot of um, th- we're taught that a lot of stuff can go wrong. And that's obviously what I was kind of leaning into. That's, um, that's mostly what we see growing up is that birth. We see it on TV. We see it in the movies. We see the drama. We see the scary stuff. And we mostly see, you know, see it as hospital birth. And most of us grow up thinking that home birth is for sort of that out there person who either doesn't have access to a hospital or is so uber natural that they would choose something that's potentially dangerous for themselves or their baby. But Mm -hmm. interestingly, you did have an intuitive feeling from the beginning that home birth really was maybe where you wanted to be. So did you know anybody who had a a home birth or was it, so you kind of, did you see that growing up? Did you have a a supportive family? Did you have a supportive partner? Uh, I, we chose to keep the planning of the home birth to ourselves. Um, Love that. 
because we know why <laughs> there's just a, I mean yeah there's I mean there's a lot of, you know and and I and I love um my family but it was something this time that I I just wanted to stay true to following that instinct of this is going to be right for me and I know that not many people will understand that um people might have judgments on it but I wanted to stay true to to me and and my husband as well I mean Tim was super super supportive. I mean, part of this whole planning also was, you know, to do with Tim and the fact that he was so not able to be present during the first birth. I mean, he was driving me from one place to the next to the next, booking a hotel, getting waters for when I was walking around the streets, you know, like, like a marathon runner with a support car next to them. Like it was just so much. And it wasn't, you know, what we wanted as a couple either. And so, you know, there was a huge part of this birth preparation for me where I, you know, I, I sat Tim down and I said, you, I want you to think about what you want out of this too. And what we want together, you know, I, this is, you know, I have my own set of things, but we have to talk about together what we want out of this. And, and we wanted just, we wanted him to be present and be available and not have to think about you know, feeding me or anybody else and all the other things. So um, it was just a sort of very organic process, you know, to talk this through with our, you know, support team and then add people to our support team. So in order for Tim to support me and be present through it, we, we asked our best friends to be on call for that due month when I was due. I'm going to call it a due month. <laughs> not a due date That's right. um, because William was 17 days overdue, by the way, overdue. 42 and three. That's, that's good. Impressive. It, right. And thankfully I had a doctor who was not forcing me to induce and, you know, get it going. And, you know, we checked, you know, we checked out the blue and in the placenta and the whole thing. And, you know, however many days in a row leading up to it, but every, you know, everything was healthy. And I, I'm glad that I wasn't pressured to induce, induce, induce. Um, Cause that's really not what I wanted. Yvonne, tell everyone um, how, uh, how much he weighed. Cause he was over 42 weeks. And I think it'll surprise people when they hear. Oh, he was six, six, 11, six pounds, 11 ounces. So there's often this assumption that if yeah. a baby is born over 42, they will be big. My daughter was nine and a half pounds at 39 weeks. They're on their own unique trajectory. So obviously yeah. William weighed more than he weighed at 38 and 39 weeks, but he was not by any means too big. And that rhetoric is something that's really hurting women. Um, Nor would he have been ready to come at 40 weeks. I mean, that would have been very, he would have been small. small. Well, and also the, you know, the machine was telling us that he was going to be like some eight, pound plus baby and that also was not not true you know and yeah so meanwhile henry was the 9.1 pound baby um and three inches longer and you know and he was he was just i'm saying this in speech i'm quote marks one week overdue he was longer heavier yeah isn't that interesting? And, and and I birthed him naturally without any anything any meds at home in my bedroom so tell us more about that. But, you know, just a comment about your first birth as well. It was so, so good that your doctor didn't stress you and pressure you into induction. However, 
then they did do those things. They did give you Pitocin. They did give you an amniotomy. It was kind of like everything kind of changed when you got there, or was that a result of the long labor? Was that what, what was, why was all that happening to you? Do you think? Well, I got in there and I, I was dilated, I think at eight centimeters, I think it was in the morning, the day that I finally gave birth. And, um, and it, and I was stalled. So I just remember lying there and then an hours had gone by another six hours. And, um, I remember my husband talking quietly to the doctor and the jeweler and I was overhearing it saying, you know, she hasn't dilated anymore. It's stalled. And we, we needed, yeah. Um, suggest Pitocin and break the sack. Um, also there was a, a, a thing that, you know, once the sack was broken, William changed direction. So he shifted in an unfavorable position. He had been in a favorable position the entire time. And at that point he had shifted. So did you know that's a side effect of amniotomy? Are you aware that they likely caused that? No, I was not aware at the time. No. Um, And so then, you know, in order to get him back into position, they said I had to sort of lie on my side for 20 minutes at a time with, you know, in a certain position. And lying still at that moment in time seemed like they were asking me to climb Mount Everest. It's like impossible. While in labor, it was impossible. Yeah. So consequently, I ended up with an epidural at hour 41 of labor. And then five hours later, he was born. And he was born vaginally? Yeah. It seems unfair to say this after all you went through, but it was lucky that it was a vaginal birth, especially given that you we're having other children in your future. It made those births easier as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely was a priority, thankfully for my OBG um, to do that definitely was a priority for him. So, which again, you know, cause I'm also, I was also going off of their judgment, you know, in the moment as a first time mom, you're, you're just trusting what people are telling you in the moment in the hospital. Cause you know, I'm no specialist. Um, and I- Honestly, after a 40, after 41 hours of labor, your body was exhausted, no doubt. Exhausted. Totally. And you were having artificial stimulation with Pitocin. Most people in that position do end up with an epidural. And sometimes, even though we're not huge proponents of epidurals, especially in early labor or for women who want an unmedicated birth or physiologic birth. But sometimes it is the thing actually that you need when you've been in that state of um, sort of fear, which happened to you transferring to the hospital, you kind of got in that place of this is an uncomfortable new environment, everything in your body shut down. It's exactly what's supposed to happen. It's how nature has designed our bodies to work. But the epidural can, in that situation, actually relax you enough to allow the baby to come through. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened. I was, I I was so thrown, you know, by just the hospital space. I mean, it's just not for me. I mean, I, you know, there's, I, I wish I was a person who was comfortable with it. I'm just not, it's just how I'm made. Yeah. It definitely relaxed me. I instantly fell asleep because I was literally falling asleep in between contractions at that point. I was so tired. My, my head would just drop in, in the 60 seconds that I had in between the contractions. And, um, and so, yeah, that the epidural happened 
I fell asleep. They were able to, you know, position me and and William was able to shift his position. And and I remember they woke me and pulled, pulled the plug out of the epidural once it was time to push. I specifically said, you know, if we can get rid of that epidural thing, get rid of it you know, once it's fine. Cause I, I really desperately wanted to just experience it naturally. I wanted to, I wanted to know what my body was capable of and, and just, and, and trust it. But and so I definitely got to do that the second time around. Hey there, all you amazing, strong and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms to be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. So at what point 
after your first birth? Was it not until you got pregnant the second time that you started to really process that experience and decide how you wanted to do it differently? Or were you, were you already kind of after that birth, sometimes women are like, they know right then that the next time this is absolutely not how I'm going to do it. Or what became the strongest, most important reasons for you to choose home birth the second time around? What about your first birth caused you to feel that way? It was honestly just the the fact that I had that little voice inside of me telling me, trust yourself enough to do a home birth because the hospital just wasn't for me. I wanted to have the hospital there as a backup, obviously, if something were to go wrong and, you know, and I need it and, and, and the small chance that I would have needed a transfer, I, I wanted it to be there, obviously, and be flexible to, to go there. But there was a voice inside my head that, that kind of looked back on that 46 hours of, you know, labor with William and thought, there's a better way for me to do this for my body, for my voice, for my gut instinct. And it, it, it was really just about leaning into that and setting myself up for the best case scenario and utilizing all the tools around me to, to do that. And, and being in a space where your husband could be focused on you and not on the logistics of how you have this baby. And be in my home. I mean, it was just such a, it's my sacred space. And, um, and my husband is my sacred space. And then, you know, getting to know these two women who supported me through it, they were truly amazing. I mean, their superpower was, was to know when to not step in. Honestly, it was, it was all about not stepping in and, and not interrupting what my body was doing by itself. I didn't really need to do anything. And this was the greatest lesson of all time is that my body extraordinarily surprise surprise knew exactly what to do when it felt safe and when it felt like it it could go through the motions by itself and and you know and so set it up that my best friends were there and available at on call so that they could come and look after my toddler and be there for him and they all showed up I think at three o'clock in the morning or four four o'clock in the morning say I started at one o'clock and then weirdly, my toddler woke up in the middle of the night and came into the room. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going back to his room and him and him waking up and saying, William, mom has to birth Henry right now. So mom's going to go in the other room and do that. <laughs> I'll be right and, back. <laughs> and, I, and I just He's knew. Like, great. <laughs> He's like, great. So I, <laughs> I went back in there and I put my ear pods in and I started listening to hypnobirthing tracks, which is what the midwife and the doula had suggested to me. Um, which again was something that I was like, Oh, is this really going to work? I don't know. Like what, you know, it, 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 which, you know, ended up like being amazing. Um, and my two best friends got there and, you know, so we, do, we set it up so that they knew what the plan was. We had food in the fridge. They were going to cook and make coffees for everybody. And, do all that stuff and look after William while my husband and I were just purely focused on the birth. And it was amazing. It was 10 hours. My water broke naturally. Uh, I didn't go walking around the neighborhood because I didn't want to. And I know that's like a thing that people often do and it's supposed to speed up labor, 
but it just wasn't for me. It wasn't for me at all. And I didn't want to do it. And I, I just, I just committed to myself. I committed to listening to my instincts and, and focusing in on that. It doesn't mean I didn't have a horrible inner monologue person telling me, you know, fear, 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 blah, blah, blah. It, you know, I really truly had to push against that and, and hone in on my fears. I mean, early in the labor, I, I, I started into like a fear spiral and I, I remember I asked my um, doula and I, I just opened up and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really scared. I'm scared. I, I can't do this. I'm scared. I, I'm going to need something or whatever. And this and that. And she brought me back down to level zero reality. You have a healthy pregnancy. Everything is great. Your baby's heart sounds great you're going to trust yourself, you know, all the things. And, and it felt so good. It was just such a, mo- a great moment. This is, I guess, part of the inspiration and uh, part of what I want other women to know is like, if you have fears, it's okay to speak them out loud to your trusted circle. And it's okay because after that, it really, you know, allowed me to focus and hone in on, on what my body was, was trying to do by itself and and let it do what it, wanted to do by itself I mean I was you know the most astounding takeaway for me is when the baby was coming through the birth canal how extraordinary it is that I really didn't need to do anything I mean all this stuff about pushing and pushing and there was no pushing even if I tried to push which I did one at one point my body went nope no thank you you're stopping right here we're gonna I guess stretch your body out a little bit more prepare you. And, 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 you know, I could feel the baby's head go back up a little bit and then back down again, and then go back up a little bit and go back down again and go back up a little bit. I mean, it was my body's way of making sure everything was stretched in time and ready in its own time. And I just had to get through it and allow. listen you have, you just- and allow. And it was the, mo- I mean, seriously, this is the most amazing takeaway. And this is my biggest thing that I want to tell everybody about it's like no you guys you have no idea like your body is just going to do it by itself like there's there's no you don't need all this stuff I, I sometimes phrase it as though your body will give birth with or without your participation yes <laughs> that's totally what it felt like totally it's yeah. really the it's it's really the most important lesson in childbirth yeah I mean then this is like we're so conditioned to kind of have it be the other way. I mean, that's the majority of people, right? I mean, I think I read the statistic even on your your platform, right? About like 1% of American women or less than 1% will have a home birth. So like most people are just, we're all conditioned to like understand that we're going to have cords and things and IV and whatever else, blah, blah, strapped to us. And that's the process of birth. But it's, for me, it took, a, it took away my body's kind of autonomy to just do it by itself and and allow me to step aside and let it do it. We're really conditioned to, to believe that others know more about how to birth our baby than we do. We're conditioned to believe that all the things around us are needed. It's exactly the opposite of that. And what you said about your midwives, knowing when to step in and when to stay back, that's the key to being a good birth provider. Mm -hmm. I think a key point that you made also is that in order to have a beautiful, trusting home birth doesn't require eradicating all fear. You don't have to get to the point where you are 
devoid of any fear. We always have that. We always say, well, what if I am that one? I don't care how rare it is that there's an emergency. I don't care how few women are transferred. What if I'm that one? We always think that. And I think what you're showing is you, it's not that you got to the point where you just knew for sure everything would go well. You acknowledged your fear. You spoke your fear, but you were looking in the eyes of people you deeply trusted and you used your rational thinking as they did as providers to say, look, we're at this point now. We know this pregnancy is healthy. We know this baby is well positioned. We know we have all these things lined up in our favor. And it's a rational choice. It's not just winging it. And I think that's what I didn't used to understand. Having, I had a similar, not really similar. I, my first was a natural birth in a birthing center. My second was at home, but that still felt like a big leap for me. And you do realize you, you think home birthing women are just going to wing it. They're just being optimistic, but that's not really the experience. As you get closer and closer to that day, you give birth, you really do say, okay, check, check, check. Yes. These things are really lining up and I can relax a little more. Anyway, I think that was a really important point. I, yeah. I completely agree. I, w- I wanted to comment on that. I, it, and the same thing goes throughout labor. I mean, you, you have your trusted provider there to check in, to make sure that everything is going the way it should every step of the way. And we don't want a provider to be fearless about birth. That wouldn't be good. And we don't want a mother to be fearless about it. That's reckless. We have to understand that there's risk to birth always everywhere for any woman. Yeah. I mean, that was, and that was the process of, you know, educating myself on the things, the, the real things to be concerned about and the things to not be concerned about. And that I, and leaning into the fact that I did have a very healthy pregnancy and, and that my midwife was incredibly concerned with every step as well. I mean, that was something that, you know, it was really kind of no different in a way in terms of, I mean, like you said, no one's winging it. It's not like we're all hippies in the forest, you know, birthing out um, (laughs) babies carefree and no worries at all. I mean, it, it, it was an incredibly informed choice. It was so beyond thoughtful and I wouldn't have done it obviously any other way. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have felt comfortable to, to do it. So yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of talking, a lot of education, a lot of airing out my, my fears. And that's definitely something I would encourage women to do is talk all the things through, even the stupidest of fears or whatever it is that that's on your mind or the, what if this, or what if that, or blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you, you have to get it out of your system and and get educated and make the informed choice. I think the other takeaway that you're emphasizing is in order to have a good home birth, all the stars don't have to be perfectly aligned. You can have meconium. You can have a baby with a cord around a neck. That's in fact, very common. You can have anomalies. Home birth midwives are specifically trained in just that. That's why they do Mm -hmm. intervene when they intervene. Yeah. I mean, we had that. So I, you know, I learned, God, and I hope I'm relaying this correctly, but that, you know, at, at the time of a oh, while the baby is coming out, it's not really that, you know, the oxygen is still being provided from the placenta, right. Um, yep. Through the, through the cords. So the cord being wrapped around a neck isn't, isn't uh, the neck isn't being blocked because the oxygen isn't coming from the neck and the lungs and the baby it's coming from that placenta so unless the cord is completely twisted clamped down there's nothing going through it then you don't have a problem 
Yeah, you, you, I mean, tell me if I am. No, you're exactly right. It's a, it's a very common misconception because of course we think about something around their neck, something around our necks. We equate yeah. that with choking. It's not that at all for baby because they're not breathing through their airway. As you said, their airway is not open. It's not active yet. They're, they're, all their oxygen is coming through the cord. So the only time a cord around the neck is actually dangerous and it's exceptionally rare is if it's extremely tight and extremely short and to the extent that it is completely blocked off the flow from the placenta to the baby. Right. Yeah. So this, I mean, these are the kinds of things that I asked. I mean, I was like, what if the cord is wrapped in these are the things I learned. And sure enough, we had Henry, you know, the cord was wrapped around twice. Um, and we just took it off. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. It was just as soon as the cord was, was, there was enough cord and enough neck and head visible. It just, it just came right off. Um, you know, we, I, we also had meconium at the end there, um, with Henry, um, so, but it was it was later. So, like my my um, my water broke and conium wasn't present then. It was it came later. But again, it was I had to be educated on what that meant. You know, is it actually dangerous or not? And you know, and and make my own uh, informed decision about that. Um, Let's talk about your age. And you gave birth yeah. to Henry, your second boy, December of twenty twenty one. At what age? 39. Okay. Well, right there, women are geriatric. Now, part of the misinformation out there is that age (laughs) is a factor. It is just not. It's not. I mean, it I'm my home birth was just shy of 39. And um, it never came up once. But I have women that I I teach and I work with who are convinced that they're old at 35 when they're in beautiful health. Um, did you have a conversation with your obstetrician? in changing your plan for your second birth? I did. And it was uh, really honestly amazing. I mean, I, 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 you know, at about somewhere in the second trimester and after I'd sort of researched all of this, I said, look, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of doing this at home um, with a midwife. And, you know, there were several conversations and he was like, okay. You know. And I actually said, I would love for you to be there if you're open to a midwife-led birth, if you're open to just being there and taking a back seat to what was, you know, to what my midwife was going to be doing. And he was so gracious. And I mean, he's incredibly passionate about birth and babies. And he he did. He came along and he did was there. Come. That's fabulous. Yes. That it was incredible. It was so beautiful. I have to say, I was like, we're really beautiful experience for everybody, for my best friends, for my OBGYN and my midwife, my daughter, my husband. And I, I mean, it, it just was like really like a dream, dream birth, but you know, and in the same breath, I'll remind everybody, like I still had my fears and I still had all the, you know, the things and, you know, you're in a monologue that you're fighting and whatever, but I was listening to my hypnobirthing. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I but I, but what, what was successful is that I had set myself up exactly how I wanted to be set up and it and it worked for me and you know even down to my my OBGYN being present and and being there and just just watching you know so let's compare the husband who was at your first birth to the husband who was at your second Tim being the husband in both cases but (laughs) what what was the difference (laughs) well I'm you know he he was just by my side I mean it was 
uh, you know, I had my earplugs in. I, I nonstop listened to the hypnobirthing, but he was there when I needed him um, throughout the whole entire process. And then towards the end, you know, I was, um, I actually, got, I got into the shower at one point in, into my, you know, my shower next to my bedroom. And um, I got really uncomfortable in the shower, actually. What I didn't know was that um, it was, I was uncomfortable because it was speeding up the process. And I was suddenly feeling, you know, like, oh God, here it comes a bit more, which was actually ended up being perfect because it did speed up the process. So I got out and I lay on my bed again and my water broke. And it was because I hadn't, that was the first time I felt it naturally. I was like, oh my you're in, God. You're in transition. <laughs> Whoa. Well, it's mind blowing that it actually happens on its own. Like, did I really think someone had to do this for me? Did nature not have a plan to ever get this baby out of this sack of fluid? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean the progression was amazing. And then, and then, and then at that point, um, you know, they had fixed up the tub cause I, they, we had a, you know, a big birthing tub and, um, and my midwife said, it's, it's time to, to go in now. You're ready. You're really ready to sit into the water now if you want to. And, and I did. And I remember sitting in there and then you know, Tim was by my side and, and, you know, outside of the tub. And at one point I was like, no, I I need you in the tub. Can you get in the tub with me? And so he got into the tub and he sat, you know, leaning against the wall. And then I ended up straddling him um, and holding on to his shoulders. And, um, and, and it was so beautiful because it felt like we did it together. You know, we, we brought our second son into the world together, holding each other. It was, very romantic it was I mean you know even though there's so much going on for me in my body I just had the, the the best case scenario in terms of where I wanted my husband to be in terms of supporting me and and for him it was best case scenario as well but that that was that was it and and it was just so beautiful I mean I can't tell you like how how uh, blown away I was by by a you know lo and behold my, my body knew what to do <laughs> um, and then the fact that I did it with my husband like that and all that extra touch in contact in the skin to skin and that affection yeah. is that it just shoots your oxytocin you know through the roof and and like you said when your baby was coming out there was no like your body was just doing it you didn't even have to push because your fetal ejection reflex was activated and that's all from that contact and that touch and that feeling safe and that feeling love you had so much love in that moment yeah and I didn't know there was a term for it the fetal ejection right but it was like I was like it was amazing I was like oh my god there's there's like this there's like an earthquake happening inside of me and it is it is it is literally pushing my baby out like I'm not I am, I'm doing it, but I'm not like, I'm not, there is no extra effort here. It's, it's, it's so involuntary. And I, and I feel like no, nobody knows that somehow. (laughs) I mean, I I didn't. Part part of the reason people don't know about it is because somebody is intervening too soon and saying, okay, it's time to push. Now hold your breath and bear down. And it's not going to be activated when you intervene in advance of it naturally doing. Yeah. 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 And just a comment about the intimacy, our society is conditioned to perceive sex as pleasurable and birth as painful, but sometimes it's the reverse. People have orgasmic births. Some people can have painful sex, but we are so deeply conditioned. 
But these two things, it's really a full circle. They're so inextricably linked. It's the same body parts. It's the exact same hormones. It's not, it, it, it shouldn't be surprising that an intimate, sensuous birth should feel so gratifying. It makes perfect sense. It's just societally, we're, con- we're so conditioned to only perceive it as painful. But yeah. you, you, you got there yourself. You got yourself there and experienced it on your own without being told. You and your husband just, you found yourselves to it. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, I mean, I, I just met you guys face to face, but you, you know, when I was looking through Instagram and, you know, I, I saw, you know, you guys posting about women doing this kind of thing, you know, at home and with their partners. And I, it was exactly that, that was kind of pushed me over the edge in the end. Cause I thought, well, so many people can do this. Why can't I? I mean, I surely I can do this too. If I am set up for this and I have a healthy pregnancy that allows me to do this. Like I, I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. And so I was just so inspired by seeing women. I mean, that's so brave. I mean, to be able to to even share your birth video. I mean, thank you to the women out there who do that. I mean, that was such a, such a monumental, um, kind of piece of information to the, and, and piece to this puzzle that ultimately allowed me to trust the process and, and have faith that if their bodies knew what they were doing, then mine would too, even though I, I was conditioned to think otherwise or, or had, you know, fears. I can't express enough how, how important it was for me to, to see other people's stories and hear them. I just kept thinking, listen, listen, listen to your body, listen to your voice. You can do this. One of my favorite parts about home birth is after it's all over, you and your baby and your partner climb into bed together and your son, your other children, and you eat a home-cooked meal and you just, you're home and you're settled and you just ravish in this new love and this new life and you sit in your bed and you don't have to go anywhere and nobody's bothering you and no strangers are around and you're not eating, you know, yucky hospital food. I mean, that transition post-birth and the early postpartum is so it's such a huge part of having your baby at home that people don't even think about it oh my gosh that was amazing to be able to climb into my bed with my baby I mean that was you know and also to have my best friend my best girlfriends right there with my other son you know and you know it was amazing too at the at the time literally the time Henry came out one of my friends was upstairs getting something um that my other son had asked her to get from his room and she had them call the time and um and then I and I said you know come on in if William wants to come in come in and because I my, my policy at home I, I wanted it to be an open door I wanted if William wanted to be part of it and come and check in whenever he wanted I wanted that to be available to him because I mean there's that's a whole nother conversation about you know having an existing child who there's another child coming into the family and how difficult that can be for the, for the older sibling. And so, you know, I just, I wanted him to be part of that process if he wanted to. And um, he ended up coming in just as um, just after I had um, given birth to Henry and it was just beautiful. Like he was right there and he, he wanted to hold him straight away. And he said, can I have him? <laughs> um, and my best friends were there and, you know, we climbed into bed and it was just great. It was just really, really something else to, to have that. And yeah. So handmaid's tale, 
I have to ask you, and I promise this is a fair question. I would never dream of the, and off the record, what's happening in the next season? Not going to go there (laughs) now, but this is what I have to ask you. I mean, you play, first of all, I am, I'm really not a big TV watcher and we have been watching every episode as they've been released. Um, My husband, all my family members, we text after it. It is the first dystopian anything I have deeply appreciated. I actually feel it's an important production because, you know, what Margaret Atwood says, I mean, these things have happened in history. You play, I think, I want to say like, this is a fact, you play the most fascinating character on the show because you, I I really think that's a pretty fair thing to say. And I feel like everyone should agree with this, but it's because (laughs) Serena Waterford helped to create Gilead. We first meet her and we want so much to only see her as an antagonist. We want only to believe we're not supposed to like her. And then we go through this anguish of like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling compassion for her. Oh my gosh, she's oppressed by the very system she helped to create. Oh my gosh, she and her husband are not equal in this. I mean, it's, you play the role obviously beautifully and you have a endless nominations to show for it, you know, SAG awards, Golden Globes, Emmys. But I just have to ask you, like when you're an actress, I I can only imagine that your psyche gets deeply into your work. I can't imagine what it's like for you to, to live in this world, Gilead, for a portion of your life. And then to have this empowered, free, like birth, this loving relationship. Do you feel like this is an ironic aspect of your thirties? I mean, how do you perceive this, that you get to experience both extremes in your life, even though one is pure fiction? Yeah. I mean, it's not lost on me, the two experiences side by side. It is very strange. Um, but, but when I'm in it, I'm in it. And when I'm out of it, I'm out of it. So like it, it is, you know, it's been kind of strange to, will be, you know, like there was one season where I was actually pregnant and we were hiding the pregnancy because the character wasn't pregnant yet. So I was pregnant with William and we were hiding it. And then, um, and then of course, you know, it was like, uh, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think ahead because I want to make sure I'm not spoiling anything, but everyone knows I'm pregnant now. <laughs> yes, we so, do. We know you're pregnant now. Right. So now, I mean, now I'm wearing a big belly, even though I just had my own belly not yep. too long ago. And it's, and it's, and it's very weird. And also, you know, I both babies, cause I'm, I'm really big on, um, breastfeeding. I breastfed William 26 months and, um, I was able to do that. I, I mean, I think because I had him close by all the time and, and I have an amazing husband who was able to come to work with me and be in the trailer with me with the baby. And so that I was able to breastfeed in between scenes and between takes and between camera wow. setups, which is exactly what I'm doing now. Um, breastfeeding Henry the same, same way in between work. So it, it, I remember, you know, now I'm kind of used to it because I've done it before, but with, with William, it really felt like, Oh my God, it's such a split personality situation because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing these crazy Serena Joy scenes. You're like screaming at Fred Waterford or whatever it is that we're doing. Like saw there's, you know, another scene goes by where there's not like some high emotion going on. So there's all this intense stuff going on on set. And then I come back to breastfeed my baby and that's just so glorious and wonderful for me like I'm 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 really love breastfeeding so it's a beautiful experience for me and um yeah and then and then you finish that and then you go right back to set and, and you know you're portraying this 
very complicated, often evil woman. So it's just the, the you know, the, the even believing that Alfred's yeah. baby is yours, the conviction that she has that it is her baby. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say as a, now that I have two kids, the 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 story, um, and I feel like we're going to probably have to do another podcast once this season airs. And, and uh, knowing <laughs> that I can't say anything about it, my husband's waving at me. He's on the street with my kids. Um, <laughs> uh, He's like, how's it uh, going? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's William. He's waving at me. But, uh, but it's, it's like, it's terribly close to home now, you know, Um, and this, this, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited. It'd be really fun to, to talk about this freely once the season is in the can and shot and aired. Um, Because, yeah, it's um, some of the, some of the scripts. I mean, I'm reading like, oh God, I'm reading them with one eye open and one eye shut because I almost can't take it anymore. Uh, it's because it's hard for me to watch as well, you know, and I, and I know, like I've had a lot of mothers say, this is really hard for me to watch. I can, you know, I can only do so much and understandably, uh, um, but now that I'm a mom as well, I, yeah, wow. Especially yeah. when I have a little baby, you know, right now. It's, it's heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating story and I, you, you get hooked into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is fascinating and so mm-hmm. confronting. Ugh. Yeah. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH to save 15%. Yeah. We just want to ask you also... um, what motherhood means to you at large. And what you said Mm -hmm. earlier that made me want to ask you this question is 
the part where you were talking about the decision, the conscious choice you made not to include family who you love and who you're close to and who love you so much, you know, not to include them in that decision to have a home birth. And it's in part knowing that their own love for you is going to bring them down that path of fear. And, you know, you know, that their fear wouldn't have served you. You had to deal with that between yourself and with Tim and your providers. Um, But the very choice to not involve them in it is what a grown-up does. That's the kind of thing that turns us into the adults in our lives, the adults that we need to be in order to raise our children. So what has motherhood meant to you? How have you seen yourself evolving as a mother through this process? Well, first of all, I mean, I, I should say that the the choice to sort of not involve family in, in, in the process of deciding to have a home birth, you know, was it was it was definitely about making sure and choosing to not manage everybody else's fears. I had enough of my own (laughs) and I just needed to create that space. And I didn't want my space to be taken up with sort of managing everybody else's potential fears of, Oh my gosh, are you sure you want to do this? But you're so far away from the hospital and blah, blah, blah. Like all these things. I just thought, this is just not something I want to deal with, um, which is very unlike me, by the way. I will say that's not something I've done before. It's not like a common thing for me. I'm super open with with my family and my close friends. And it was an incredibly, again, informed, thoughtful decision um, that I made. And um, thankfully, everyone was supportive after the fact. <laughs> no one gave me shade for it. <laughs> I think it... It's really, it's a really intelligent thing to do. It's just like when you're creating some unique idea or creation, like the more you start sharing about it before you are into it deeply or even have done it, the more extraneous noise you have to deal with. You have other, the opinions and the, the feelings and it makes you doubt yourself. It's better to just go on your journey, do your thing, and then show at the end what you've done. And nobody can, how can anybody give you a hard time for a beautiful home birth? It's your journey. It's your process. And all that noise and clutter is just other stuff we have to spend our energy on that's useless. Yeah. And the the hypnobirthing stuff actually in preparation. So I started listening to that way before the actual birth and it really allowed me to kind of tune out a lot of the noise as well. And the noise in my own head. And, and, you know, this is coming from someone who's like, (laughs) I'm not a meditator. Like I'm not someone who does yoga or will sit there every day for 10 minutes to minute. I wish I was, I wish I was that person and I'm not that person. So I, made a commitment to myself to sort of trust in in the process of using hypnobirthing as as a, a meditative kind of thing in my in my life during my pregnancy journey to ground myself again and that was hard because i'm not wired that way i'm wired to kind of be doing things and moving constantly and you know this is another thing like to going back to that whole like oh just let everything kind of happen naturally as is as in like there's no preparation there's no informed choices like this was also like a very conscious thing that i that i did to set myself up in the best case scenario so 
it really allowed me to, at the end of the day, so I would, I would put it on at the end of the day when I was already in bed and, and it would kind of zone me out into, into a clear space. It felt like another trusted voice that I could lean on in addition to the voices of my midwife and my doula and my husband um, and my OBG who was super supportive of the whole thing. Oh, becoming a mother. Yeah. I remember feeling super confronted when I first became pregnant. I, it was like a identity crisis in a way where I was like, Oh wow, I am pregnant. Now I'm about to have a baby and this child is going to see me (laughs) like (laughs) see me. And, and this baby and child is going to see me and all of the things that I am, all the good things and all the bad things and everything in between. And it was just such a moment of kind of asking myself who, I mean, this kind of sounds cheesy, but it was, a, it was a little bit of like, who am I? How do I want to evolve? What do I want my children to, to see in me that is going to inspire them? What do I need to work on in order to you know, try and be the best mom that I possibly can. It was very much, I sort of started this process of um, digging very deep, deeply into my psyche, my soul, and I'm still doing it. And I don't know when that's going to stop. Probably never. It won't. (laughs) (laughs) It's never going to stop, but it's been, it's been so enlightening and confronting and really hard and really difficult and really powerful and really amazing and really exciting and liberating to go on this journey and, and again, like lean into that instinct that I had to question, you know, to question who I am and, and what can I learn more about myself? I'd be curious about myself, I guess is sort of the best way to put it. Be curious about myself and ask questions and, and discover and, um, and hopefully uh, try and be a good mom. (laughs) One of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is about how the way a woman experiences birth completely informs how she experiences early motherhood and potentially all of motherhood. So it's so important that we go into our birth experience the way we want to, the best that we can, because how that first initiation into through birth into motherhood teaches us about ourselves, and the journey continues every stage of your child's life is another big old mirror that's put in your face (laughs) to look at yourself and reflect and grow and transform but it begins with your birth experience it starts right there well this is why we all have a responsibility to give women complete agency when it comes to their births not to say don't worry i'll get that baby out of you or leave it to me. I've been doing this a long time or for in-laws to say, look, we've raised kids. We just know how this works. If we rob women of making their own decisions, we're robbing them of trusting themselves as mothers. And it does start with midwives and obstetricians and saying, well, what feels right to you? Like you said, with your midwives, their job is not to intervene until slash unless they need to intervene. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we start making those decisions and stepping in, it's a little message to her that like, I've got this, not you. And yeah. you're exactly right. It starts with the midwife or the OB because they have the ability to take that from her, strip that from her, or they have the power to give it to her by supporting her yeah, I mean, and trusting her. Oh my God. Yeah. I definitely felt empowered by these two women. I mean, it was really incredible. It was so 
incredible to have people who continuously reaffirmed for me that I was going to have a beautiful birth. Someone also, I don't know where I read this or who said it, but um, you know, it's it's obviously a huge big day. It's the birth of your child, but it's also the birth of you as a mother. Yes. And I I make note to take to say that to people that I know who are about to have their first baby. Like I I tell them that because I don't think people many people hear that or kind of understand they're like realize that that that's it's also about you as a human being and you are in those moments birthing yourself as a as a as a parent as a mom yeah. and what does that mean to you and how beautiful that is and um yeah i just it was it's such a beautiful important thing i think for for pregnant women to hear so yvonne why did you want to come on and tell your story what's the most meaningful part of this to you that you get to put this out there? You're a private person. And of all the things you want to share, you're going right to birth. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Not where you shop, you know, not you're going right to birth. The most yeah. interesting thing that you've experienced in your life. I mean, what's, what does this satisfying you that feels so right to put your story out there? And there's so many things. I mean, I, I just had such a profound journey you know, from the first birth to the second birth, a profound journey of realizing how capable I am as a woman and how capable my body is. I allowed my body to do what it is designed to do. I can't, I mean, it's almost like I can't express it in words. Like I, you know, after I gave birth, that was the biggest thing I kept you know, wanting to talk about with everybody who wanted to hear it. I was, I was just so excited that that I had learned the power of my body. And then all I needed to do was to let it do what it needed to do. And really, like, I've always been sort of all about trusting your instincts and your and, and your inner voice. And I think, you know what, you know, a society kind of squashes that a lot, you know, you have an inner voice for a reason. And I learned to listen to it in a very big way. I learned that I didn't listen to it the first time around. And that when I did, it, it really allowed for me to set the space up for my body to feel safe. I saw so many stories online. I mean, also on your Instagram, you know, platform and, um, and it's kind of a way for me to give back. I mean, I'm, I hope that if I can, you know, if there's one woman out there who is like me and, and is like, Oh God, I don't, I don't know if I should have a home birth. I don't know what to do. Like, I encourage you, look into it. It is hard to find the right resources sometimes. But if you keep digging and digging and digging, the universe will provide people, put people in your way to lead you to the next person, to the next thing, to whatever, to what feels right for you. And to really create the space to listen to your body, really. I mean, this was such a big lesson for me. I just want to give back and and kind of, I guess this is my way of saying thank you to everybody who, who shared on your platform or, and, and, and every other thing that I, you know, came across in my scrolling or whatever. So although this is super intimate and super private, um, I think it's really important. I, I want to be part of the journey that empowers women to make informed choices and listen to their bodies. And um, yeah, so this is, here I am. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. 
You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. I had, yeah, I had to film Handmaids and I was pregnant with William and, and, I, and I, and it got to the point, where, I mean, I was trying to hide it because I wanted to, I wanted to get to a, a significant amount of weeks before I kind of said something. And, of um, <laughs> and I was just, at, there was one point where we were filming, I was in the back of a, a limo um, and with the DP Colin and, and I had crackers with me and I just, I was so nauseous and had my spitty cup and I was just like you guys I'm pregnant like I can't handle yeah, this anymore. anymore like I can't hide this I don't even care what week this is like I'm pregnant and I'm spitting in this cup and you all have to see it and we got to the point where <laughs> when we were doing scenes that were longer um you know I just hold my mouth shut and and then people just got to know that you know when they called cut and I was like <laughs> you know someone would fly in with a paper cup stuffed with paper towels so that I could oh, those I mean there oh was this hilarious God. moment and when we went back so once it was all said and done I had my my first son you know we went back to set we, we got into Serena's uh sitting room and the first AD Pierre I remember he opened my knitting basket and there was a spitty cup from the last season. Oh no! I've been sitting there. It's <laughs> 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 <That was> awful. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. It was really funny.